Good morning, and welcome to virtual worship at Mayflower Congregational Church. We're thrilled that you're joining us in this holy virtual space. I'm Jonathan White, the interim senior pastor, and I'm joined this morning by Dr. Julia Brown, Mr. Scott Bosher, Ms. Linda Nelson, Mr. Pat McGuire, and our guest liturgist, Mrs. Rachel Cooley. I'm also pleased to introduce another special guest, our moderator and my fellow golfer, Mr. Jim Rogers. Good morning, and what a wonderful morning it is. I'm Jim Rogers, this year's moderator. I would like to start by giving a big, heartfelt thank you to Jonathan and Ruth, who is not here today, for the wonderful job they are doing as interim senior pastor and interim associate pastor. They have made this truly a seamless transition, and for that we are very grateful. As we initiate the search for Mayflower's new senior pastor, the first step is to get input from all of you, and to that end, a survey will be sent to all Mayflower members this coming week. Check your email and regular mail for the survey. Please make your heartfelt comments and help guide Mayflower into its next phase. The survey results will be used by the search committee as a basis for finding the right candidate and we look forward to receiving your thoughtful input. Speaking of the search committee, the Mayflower Nominating Committee will be meeting several times in August with the goal of establishing a pastoral search committee by early September. The Nominating Committee invites you to submit names of those you feel would be a good fit for the search committee, as well as a couple of reasons why you feel these candidates would make good participants on the search committee. Please send names by August 24th to mayflowersearch2020 at gmail.com. That's mayflowersearch2020 at gmail.com. You are also invited to submit names and rationale for search committee members, to the nominating committee members directly, if you prefer. Those members are myself, Jim Rogers, Susan Jones, Greg Rhodes, Sharon Montgomery, Janice Huff, and Jim Muirs. Once the search committee is established, we will work swiftly, thoughtfully, prayerfully to create a description of the ideal senior pastor candidate and start the candidate search. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. I should also say, Jim's a real golfer. I play at golf. I was elevating myself by saying fellow golfer. We need people. We have an in-city mission trip coming up with new new city kids 
on August 13th and 15th. And right now, we only have a couple of people signed up. This is a family event. There will be social distancing. Uh, we'll get a project done for the new city kids. And we do hope that you uh, check our website and sign up. We have some exciting days ahead musically. We'll be joined by members of the Grand Rapids Symphony, and we'll have music project that uh, Julia has been posting on our YouTube channel. You may want to check those out. They are great worship experiences. And always, you can check out what we're doing on Facebook, Instagram, as well as our website and the YouTube channel. Today we begin a new series entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? It's about the nature of Christ. And now I have sad news. Yesterday afternoon I received a call that Peter Coronius was killed off the coast of California while spearfishing. It was an accident with a charter boat. We're keeping Mary Ann and George in our prayers. We're asking that they have strength, and we're asking that Peter feel the welcome of the everlasting arms of heaven. This is our church. When one hurts, we all hurt. This is the place where we celebrate life, baptisms, marriage, and when we gather together, to mourn, we hold one another. So prayers, deep prayers, for Mary Ann and George this morning. Well, wherever you're joining us this morning, in Valparaiso, St. Paul, Atlanta, East Grand Rapids, Ada, Cascade, your cottage, your vacation spot, your living room or kitchen, gathered with your family, or if you're worshiping alone, you're welcome here. This virtual worship experience is sacred space. It's a place where heaven and earth are joined together. It's a place where you're welcome. It's a place to offer thanksgiving and it's a place to find strength when you're hurting. So no matter what your stage of faith, no matter what your theology, you're always welcome here. It's Sunday morning, and it's time for church. As we prepare our spirits for our worship time together, please join me in the call to worship. Be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before God's presence with a song. Know this, the Lord is God. The Lord God has made us and we belong to the Lord. We are God's people and the sheep of God's pasture. Enter God's gates with thanksgiving. Go into God's courts with praise and give thanks to God and call upon the name of the Lord. For the Lord is good. God's mercy is everlasting. 
God's faithfulness endures from age to age. creator in heaven, the Lord of glory. Faithful parent, we adore your name and glorify you forever. It is by your will that we are alive. You have given us the ability to reflect on your marvelous creation, and you have bestowed upon us the grace to experience the holy. 
You promised us that whenever we call upon your name, you will answer us with your presence. Come into our midst just now, Holy One. Let us feel fellowship with you. Visit us with your overwhelming presence and make your blessings abundant in our worship today. O God, from the beginning of this service, glorify yourself and make us satisfied in you. Amen. reading today comes from Romans chapter 10 verses 5 through 15. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what it does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and is so justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and is so saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all, and is generous to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Put on thy strength, awake and praise God. 
she hath redeemed his people. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings, good tidings to Zion, thy God doth reign, thy Our second scripture reading comes from Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 43. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. 
When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat had been battered by the waves. It was far away from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water to come towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Holy One, open our ears that we may hear, our eyes that we may see, our minds so that we may think and critically analyze, our hearts that we may be filled with compassion, and our hands so that when we leave our space of worship, we leave in service. This we ask in the name of the Christ. Amen. Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say I am? Today we ask, How do we confess Christ? The way we confess depends on culture, it depends on our language. It depends on various political, gender, and other social orientations. It depends on who we are. Human beings are creatures that look for meaning. And meaning vacillates according to the circumstances that individuals find themselves where individuals find themselves functioning. When the pre-Socratic philosophers began examining the nature of everything, they considered everything was one. In other words, there was no distinction between human meaning and the behavior of matter. Aristotle and the Nicomachean Ethics argued that in order to be ethical, what we had to do is gradu- uh, gravitate toward a natural stance. And he used a rock as an example. A rock has its natural affinity to the earth. You take a rock, you hold it up, and you let it go, and it drops. Why, Aristotle asked, because its nature is to be attracted to the earth. The same principle works in human beings, Aristotle argued. He said that if you want to be brave, you need to develop the habit of being brave. If you want to be truthful, 
develop a habit. If you want to be moral, develop a habit. How do you do that? You practice making moral decisions. You practice doing brave things. You practice telling the truth. And when the time comes where you're acting, you will do that automatically because the action has become habitual. Ideas about the unification of matter and human behavior began to change in the 1600s with the scientific revolution and by the 1700s with the European Enlightenment. In the West, those ideas began to split and we had a new concept called the natural sciences and a new concept called the social sciences. As the social sciences developed in the 1800s, 1900s and continue to develop today, we have a whole branch of uh, sociology and social science that studies meaning. One of those branches is called phenomenology. Phenomenology involves the study of meaning. And inside of phenomenology, there are different schools. One school is championed by David Silverman. He calls his a theory of action. Silverman studies organizations. He believes that organizations are teleological. That means that they're aimed toward a purpose. But the purpose may not be the purpose that was originally intended for the organization. The purpose becomes the individual meanings that add up to some collective form of action based on the individual actors or the participants in the organization. Silverman makes the claim that every meaning is based on a social interpretation. And the key of his philosophy or his examination of phenomenology, the key is that social situations are socially created socially sustained, and socially changed. In other words, as a collective group, we look at meaning and we say, in this situation, this is what it means. This is truth. And if we want to continue believing that, we maintain it and say, this is truth and we know it. If we believe that is wrong, collectively, we change it. Social situations are socially created, socially maintained, and socially changed. Silverman's action frame of reference explains a lot of what's going on in American politics today. There is a group that is very happy with maintenance and there is a group that wants change and those two, two groups find themselves in competition. When we take a look at Paul's letter there was a lot of competition going on. We tend to think, we tend to gloss it over in church 
and think, well, that was the church. There were churches in the early church. There were theologies in the early church. There were different interpretations of Christ in the early church. For example, doctrine of the Trinity wasn't even solidified until 452 at the Council of Caledon. There were a lot of things that we would call heresies today in the early church as people tried to answer, who do you say I am? Paul is asking that question in Romans. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we look at the the first eight chapters uh, of Romans and see Paul's theological argument. But in today's reading, we see Paul with his age-old problem. Here he is, a very pious Pharisee, trained by rabbis to be a rabbi, trained to be part of the chosen people, and he's on a mission to the Gentiles because the chosen people, many of the chosen people, have rejected Jesus. Paul tries to reconcile himself with that. Susan Eastman, who is a research professor of New Testament at the Duke Divinity School, looks at this passage and she sees Paul arguing for radical grace. That is, God has the elect, the chosen. And the chosen are going to be called into God's realm. But she makes a twist. Socially created, socially sustained, and socially changed. Dr. Eastman offers a change. It's not simply radical grace, which is a miracle in and of itself. It's radical grace from a radical entity that we call God. God is not to be denied. The chosen are far greater than people are often willing to accept. Dr. Eastman says, imagine this. She uses Paul's analogy uh, in another writing of a race. Imagine that we're in a race. And our goal in this theory of action is to go around the track. God's not looking at that, Dr. Easton argues. She says that God has placed a small rock on the track. And that rock is Christ. And God's purpose as we run around that track, thinking that our goal is to win the race, God's purpose is to have us hit that rock. And realize that encountering Christ, realize what Paul is saying, there is no Gentile or Jew. 
In another book, Paul will argue, no Gentile or Jew, no woman or man, no age, old or young, but all are one in Christ. And then Paul concludes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's expand that just a little bit. Paul argues that we're saved by grace. We can do all kinds of good works. We can do everything that Paul says in Corinthians, but if we don't have love, if we don't have that grace then what is salvation? Paul argues grace is not based on a human action. Grace is based on God's gift. Well, if God's gift is grace, calling on the name of the Lord is an action. A radical God offering radical grace doesn't wait for us to do the saving. A radical God has already saved us. A radical God is begging on us to see. A radical God knows that as human beings, we think in conglomerated groups, and project meanings. God is calling for us to break through those meanings and to look at what God means. You've probably heard the story of Jesus walking on the water. On one level, on the young people's Sunday school level, It's a belief that, well, Jesus is a God and Jesus can walk on the water because Jesus can do anything you want, he wants. And if you believe that, then you're saved. With the risk of making a bad pun, let's take that a little deeper. Walking on water, having mastery over water is something in the ancient Near East that is common to many religions, and gods can do it. Now, did Jesus walk on the water or not? I don't want to get involved in that argument. Let's just say he did. But let's see what Matthew is trying to do with this story. Matthew is creating literature, literature that has meaning. And those meanings vacillate over time. They vacillate with different cultures. They vacillate with the way we look at the world. Matthew was trying to get something across to an early group of readers. Most theologians believe that that is an early church. A church that is adrift and being persecuted by Romans, being attacked by fellow Jews, church that is fighting for its existence and the story is Jesus is away but he is coming forward and even though he's not with us in the boat in the church he is still there in the 21st century that has some meaning 
but in the 21st century with tools that earlier theologians didn't have, we can look deeper into this story. If David Silverman is calling us to a theory of action, this story could be calling us to a theory of theology. Because Matthew's logic has a lot to do with the struggle that Paul was facing. Why are Gentiles saved and not the chosen people? If we look at this situation, Jesus has told the disciples to go. And they're adrift on the water. In ancient religious storytelling, water represents trouble. It represents life, but it can be chaos. And the disciples are in chaos. They're being tossed about. They're afraid. What meaning did they attribute to this situation? Then they look and they see something coming. They think it's a ghost. When Mark tells the story, Jesus is just going to walk on by. When Matthew tells the story, Jesus is walking toward them. And as the disciples become frightened, more frightened than they are of the waves, Jesus says in the New Revised Standard Version that you just heard, Don't be afraid, it is I. In the Greek, he says, ego ami, I am. Now, Jesus is not saying he's God, God who identified himself to Moses in Exodus as I am. Jesus was just on a mountain praying to God. But as Jesus is coming across in the Greek text, Ego of me, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing God with me. There's a settling. At that point, Peter looks out and calls on the name of the Lord as if he can save himself. He steps into the water, saying, just call me, Lord. Jesus says, come. He starts walking out. But then he looks at the waves. And he suffers from faith. But the way he suffers, again with the Greek, is discasso. It is not a lack of faith. It is the tension in faith, the tension between doubt, the wave, and Jesus taking action. And it's in that tension that Peter starts to sink. And notice Jesus' hand reaches forward. 
Peter does cry out. But what if he had remained silent? Who do you say Christ is? Would your version of Christ hold the hand back because Peter didn't cry out? Or do you believe that Jesus' hand would come forward? Do you hear a different message from Paul? A different message from Peter? That's the word of the Lord as it came to me this week. Because I think theology is socially created socially changed and socially sustained. Who do you say Christ is? What is the nature of God's grace? And when you read the scriptures looking for deeper meaning, do you find a radical God offering you Radical grace. It's a question we all must answer. In the tension, no matter what our stage of faith, and no matter what we believe. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue to be in this world where we're separated and not able to be in this building, Scott and I attended a conference, a virtual Zoom conference for the last two days from the Church Music Institute based out of Dallas. And as we listened to the voices of over 75 church musicians and pastors from around the country, two things uh, remained obvious to me about the importance of what we're doing here since March. Um, These are also things that I've heard in conversations with you at Mayflower. One of them is the importance of the familiar and how we feel comforted by things that we know. The other is the importance of bringing the new things, but bringing them in intentional ways and bringing new material that speaks directly to the situation that we're living today. In today's case, in this morning's service, we have a new prayer response that I will encourage you to sing when that time comes. You have it in your order of worship if you've downloaded it from uh, our website or from your email. And this, I found it as I was looking for music that um, amplified today's gospel reading of Jesus walking on water. These words, calm the waves. Calm to the wind. Jesus whispers, peace, be still. So not only has, it, has the water image of today's gospel, but also speaks 
to our fears and our uncertainties in this time. So I hope you will find that meaningful. We will sing it throughout the month of August. Also new this morning, and I'm so grateful for Linda Nelson for introducing me to this composer in this piece. Today is the second Sunday that we have the pleasure of bringing in uh, instrumentalists from our Grand Rapids Symphony, and it's uh, wonderful to be making music with Linda. The first piece you heard in the prelude, um, Adoration, by Florence Price. Florence Price was the first African-American woman composer to write a symphony that was performed by a major orchestra here in this country. So as white musicians, we are looking for ways to amplify the voices of minorities now during our time. And uh, looking at familiar music, Linda now brings for our offering music um, the Dance of the Blessed Spirits. It comes from one of the early operas from uh, Christoph Willibald Gluck. Um, and it may be one of those melodies that you say, gosh, I've heard that somewhere, but I don't know what it is. Just a beautiful, peaceful uh, piece from the Baroque era. Now is the time when we pause and reflect on the generosity of God and how that we can respond in a similar spirit. All we have comes from above. Help us to hold lightly to our possessions and hold on tightly to the things that really matter, our love for God and our love for each other. As we prepare for today's offering, please know that there are many ways in which you can give. You're welcome to mail a gift to our church building or to bring it to the locked box found under the portico. You're also encouraged to give online through the link in the emailed bulletin or our website link or by texting the word GIVE to the number 616-344-6255 right from your phone. The ongoing ministries of Mayflower depends on your generosity. Thank you.
Will you pray with me? We praise you, Lord, for your unending love and provision. Your care and concern for us is tremendous. We lift up our gifts, tithes, and offerings to you, and we pray that they are a blessing to our community and beyond as we seek to serve and worship you with all of our hearts. Amen. Continue worship with our congregational prayer. Let us pray. Dear God, our holy creator, we humbly come before you seeking your divine help in this great time of need. We need to hear from you, Lord. We need a word from you. Speak to our hearts. We pray for Mary Ann and George Coronius, for their family, for everyone who knew and loved their son, Peter. Welcome, Peter, we pray, with your ever-loving arms. And give comfort, whole comfort, to Mary Ann and George. For the people of Beirut, who have suffered from a horrific explosion this week, we ask your blessing. And in this time of pandemic, even as doctors, scientists, and policymakers search for a cure to the pestilence that serves as a plague to our world, even as we are encompassed by fear and a legitimate concern of well-being for family, friends, and our fellow human beings, even as some glorify in rhetoric and untruths, remind us that only you settle our hearts. We need your peace for such a time as this. Give peace, O oh Lord. Give peace.
the aliens who live in our land, and children who are locked in cages. Calls us to be the church that writes injustice. The church that will sacrifice to do what is right. The church that seeks to be holy. Call forth the church that claims to follow you. Call us forth in courage and in truth. And now hear us as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Children of God, whether you are on top of the world 
or the world is on top of you. Know this, that the God who made the elect has elected God's creation. And know that the hand of Jesus is always reaching toward you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.